Welcome. You are listening to a sermon preached at Church at the Armory. If you like what you hear, share it. God bless you. Y'all, I am excited. The reason I'm excited is because I'm trying something today I have never, ever done in almost 20 years of ministry. No, over 20 years of ministry. Okay? Which is, I, today I start a sermon series that basically lasts for the next nine months. That terrifies me. I have never preached that, cons- that many months consecutively around one uh, passage of scripture. And so today is launching day of a sermon series that I believe is extreme, I believe is in vital to our church. The reason is because the Lord spoke this to me last year, and then, and then Dr. Gladstone kind of came reinforced this idea about preaching this, um, he, 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 preaching the kingdom way, the Jesus people way. There's so much I got to say that, um, that it, w- it would take nine months to say it or more. And um, we're going to go through the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the, those who mourn. Blessed are the, you know, the Beatitudes? You know, the, the ones that you need to be, more attitude, right? right? We're going to do all those, but we're going to start those in February. Okay? This Sunday, I'm starting three messages that are introduction to the Beatitudes having to do with the kingdom of God. Because that is the point. The Beatitudes are the kingdom ethics. Today, we're going to talk about why we need ethics. Okay, we need the kingdom of God. And so I'm going to start a nine-month series that I do not want us to approach with the mindset of, man, I hope these are good sermons that are not boring, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I hope that we all, here's what I'm going to say. If you've been saved 100 years, you know, whatever, 60 years, 50 years, I mean, some of y'all have been saved a long, long time. Some of y'all have been saved a year or less. I want all of us to approach the scripture, Matthew chapter 5, and the concept of the Beatitudes from ground zero right now, uh, as if we know nothing. Let me put it to you this way. I like to do like woodworking projects, right? And so I've got, you know, tools at home and, and uh, my dad had a woodworking shop whenever I was growing up and so it was always appealing to me and I've made stuff, you know, over the years and, and dabbled in it. I wouldn't say I'm good at it, but I've dabbled in it. Imagine like the goat of woodworking, the greatest of all time of woodworking. Uh, who knows what his name is? But imagine he said, he called me up one day, he said, Chester, Come over to my shop and, and uh, stay the day. Let me just show you some stuff. I'd be like, sweet. I'm talking about the greatest of all time woodworker. Imagine if I walked in having my, you know, limited experience on woodworking and walked in and was like, with some sense of I already know. And he started talking. My, I would probably walk up to him and said, I want you to talk to me today as if I know nothing. I want you to teach me every, whatever's in your head. I want it in my head. I'm not trying to say what is in my head, get it in your head. I'm trying to say whatever the scripture teaches, we want it in our heads. As if with like no hindrances of, of, of just let's all start at ground zero. It makes sense? And so that's the way I want us as a church, as a body to approach the, uh, the Beatitudes. I had preached on the Sermon on the Mount 
probably in, in my course just at this church, at least 20 plus sermons on the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm scaling that down to the first 10 to 12 verses of the Beatitudes, okay? And my point is, is everything I preach and everything I think I know and thought I know, I'm, I'm not trying to regurgitate old information. Matter of fact, I'm looking at my old notes, none whatsoever, and I'm, fr- I'm, and I'm coming at this thing with a new perspective, and I want us to go deep, 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 deep. And just like the woodworking illustration, I don't want to go in there to understand more about woodworking. I want to come out a better woodworker. Does that make sense? So let's not just hear these words and go, man, that's good teaching. That's pretty cool. That was interesting. Let's take this stuff and let's chew on it and digest it and get it in our spirits. And let's be changed by the word of God. Okay? Who's willing to say yeah to that? Okay, good. All right. So... I, I do have some controversial stuff to say. How many of y'all love controversial stuff? Praise God. Why the Beatitudes? What's the point of the Beatitudes? The Beatitudes are the ethics of the kingdom of God. It is the way kingdom people live. Okay? So the first thing we have to understand is not the ethics. The first thing we have to understand that, that is rarely taught by me and rarely uh, approached is the idea that the, the number one thing Jesus came to teach and preach was the kingdom of God is right here. The reason that's so controversial, and y'all, put your stones in your pocket and don't throw them at me, okay? The reason that's so controversial is because we live in a modern age where we think and teach that the number one thing Jesus came to preach and teach was getting to heaven one day, salvation. If you actually look at it, Jesus taught or preached, everybody say the word preached. Jesus really preached very, 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 very little on what we understand to be the topic of salvation. He had a conversation, not a sermon. He had a conversation with Nicodemus on a rooftop. You got to be born again, right? Right? Which really wasn't even about what I would call, everybody say the words final destination. We present the gospel with final destination in mind. In other words, put your faith here because one day you're going to die and you need to finally uh, land here, heaven. Jesus presented the gospel as entrance now into a kingdom and that kingdom changed your life now and forever. When we preach the gospel, and and by the way, Matthew has qualifiers. He doesn't say the gospel. He says the gospel of the kingdom. When we preach the gospel of quote-unquote salvation and not the gospel of the kingdom, we prepare people to die, but we don't prepare people to live. Are y'all out there this morning? Oh, okay, I got in trouble. I need to repeat this. Not really trouble, but, you know, told the truth. 
That is that me being in my hearing impaired state, y'all are actually saying amen a whole lot. I don't believe that, but y'all, what y'all are telling me you say, okay? Because even though my ears are broken, my eyes ain't broken, and, it's, and unless y'all say amen like this, mm-hmm, I don't believe it, okay? So, um, so anyway, I just, that's all I got to say about that. But my point is, is that um, the gospel reduced down to what we'll call fire insurance, or the gospel reduced down to an idea that you will go to heaven one day, but the gospel isn't here to transform your life now, and the kingdom isn't here to, to transform your life now, and to become a citizen of a kingdom now that has um, ambassadorship power, and a king, to become a citizen of a, uh, of a kingdom now that, can, that has transformative power in your life, your family's life, where you live. That makes sense? And so the kingdom is, is just like Jesus. The kingdom was, the kingdom is, and the kingdom is coming again. Somebody say amen to that. Right? And so the kingdom, because Jesus is the king and it's his kingdom, and it was God's plan that what is in heaven the kingdom would come to earth, the kingdom, and, and establish a kingdom. The kingdom has been, we're going to talk about this, the kingdom is right now, it is in our midst. I mean, one of the things that I study this, I'm more aware that the kingdom is like right here. Not way out there. Like, like there's this, and, and a veil that is thinning even more as as, as the time approaches, but the kingdom is like right here. And, and we're seeing, and anytime we see signs, wonders, miracles, and, and deliverance, we see interruption. We see from one dimension into another dimension that is just right, it's like right here. It's like right here. The kingdom of God is made of spirit. The kingdom of this age is made, of, of the world is made of flesh. That's why to live according to the kingdom of God, we live according to the spirit and don't fulfill the, fly, the desires of the flesh, right? So, so we're going to talk about. For the next three weeks, what is the kingdom of God? I have a lot to say about this, and uh, but today I just really want to establish, like I want to, I want you to walk out of here with no doubt in your mind that the kingdom, as presented by Jesus and the gospel writers, was the main focus. Does that make sense? So, are you saying you don't you don't want people to get saved? That's not what I said. But salvation which has been made the entire story, is simply the avenue by which you enter the kingdom. Jesus had way more in store for you than just getting to heaven. He wanted you to live in his kingdom now and forever. What we have is a struggle, a constant struggle, to live with the kingdom of God in mind versus our here and now. Our world, uh, by the way, which is referenced by Satan as a kingdom itself. The kingdoms of this world and their glory. And you can say it's an eternal perspective versus a temporary perspective where we don't live with the kingdom of God in mind. We live with it right now in mind. 
I'm going to say some things here that, again, are controversial, and I'm being sweet, and I'm being nice, and I'm not trying to be rude. Everybody say amen. It would be good if I preach on, this sermon, on the, uh, the Beatitudes, that I exemplify the Beatitudes while I preach. So let's be meek and sweet while you preach the Beatitudes, Chester. Israel, Israel was looking for Messiah to come. We're gonna we're gonna not gonna use the word Messiah. We're gonna use the word King. Same thing. Israel was looking for their King to come. Israel, who was living under Roman occupation, was crying out for the King to come. But not anytime we say let the King come, we don't mean just the King. The King and His, because what Israel wanted the most was that the kingdom of God would come and eradicate Roman oppression and Israel would rise back up and be the nation that God promised and called them to be. Y'all hearing me? Pause. We're going to talk about another time in Israel's history. Okay? That's I'm talking about then when Jesus came. We're going to pause. I'm going to, I'm going to go back... To the Old Testament. Daniel. Everybody know who Daniel is? Old Daniel. Daniel is a prophet living under Babylonian occupation. This time not Roman occupation, but Babylonian occupation. Okay? And you've heard me make this comment before. We're no longer in America living under a Christian occupation. We're now in America living under a Babylonian occupation. I want to, I want to show you some things here. Show me, Daniel. This was prophesied way back then by Daniel. In the days of those kings, the God of, everybody say heaven. Okay, let me time out one second. Look at me. This is what I believe and teach. That when you see the kingdom of God and you see the kingdom of heaven, they're primarily the same thing as the gospel writers present them. Okay? All right? So look. In those days of the kings of God, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. In those days, amongst those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. Which will never be destroyed. Thousands of years before Jesus is ever on the scene, Daniel's prophesying about a coming kingdom that will, once it comes and once it's established on the earth, it will never be destroyed. Here's my point. God has always had the kingdom on his mind. That kingdom will not be left for another people, Israel. Okay? It will crush and put an end to all the kingdoms, but it itself will endure. Y'all want me to do it? Forever. Half of y'all, half y'all don't know what happened there, but some of y'all should watch more movies like Sandlot. Anyway, forever, forever. The kingdom that was, that is, and is to come is coming, and it's coming once and for all. It will destroy other kingdoms, but it itself will never be destroyed. Y'all with me? Okay. 
let's move on. Verse, verse 45. Inasmuch as you saw the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold, the great God has made known to the king, the king of Babylon, what will take place in the future so that the dream is true and its interpretations are trustworthy. Next verse, verse 46. King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and, and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present him an offering and a fragrant incense. Verse 47. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods. And surely your Lord is king of, uh, is, is a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. That'll make more sense in a second. Since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Verse 48. Then the king promoted Daniel, the king of Babylon, in a godless system, took Daniel and promoted him. Y'all with me? And made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, chief uh, prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Last verse 49, Daniel made the request of the king. He appointed three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, no D in there, Abednego, whatever, over the administration of the province of Babylon, over the administration of the province of Babylon, and Daniel was at the king's court. Here's my point. What we read, how many of y'all know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Big fire thrown in there, three men, oh, that, wait, there's four, right? Okay, and so... Uh, the rest of the story illustrates the struggle. The struggle is this. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would struggle living under a Babylonian occupation to live in the reality of either what, how real the Babylonian kingdom was, or how real the coming kingdom was. Y'all hear what I'm saying? To the point that they were so convinced of the kingdom that would come and stay forever, they would willingly die in a furnace for it. Y'all with me? You hear what I'm saying? Fast forward. Israel, again, finds itself under a foreign government's occupation. This time Rome. You with me? Jesus comes on the scene. As a matter of fact, John the Baptist comes on the scene and starts announcing before Jesus ever gets there, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. He's a forerunner, a precursor. And then he looks down and says, behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. I'm not worthy unto entire sandals, right? John, Jesus comes and he says, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Let me Look at me. There's two life messages Jesus had. There's, if you could sum everything Jesus ever said in two categories, it'd be one, the announcement of the kingdom is here. And number two, this is what the kingdom looks like. That makes sense? And everything fits in those two categories. Are y'all with me this morning? Yeah. Y'all with me? How many are distracted by this? No. Okay, good. Okay. Everybody say kingdom. Okay? Okay, now, um, here's the deal. Jesus is talking to Israel. Repent, the kingdom of God is here. The people of Israel are fascinated by him, even with John the Baptist. They're, woke, they're going out with John the Baptist into the desert and being baptized by the scores. Jesus shows up. He is the king. He's demonstrating the kingdom. 
Look at me. Look at me. He is the king. He's demonstrating the kingdom. And, and people are flocking to him. He can't go anywhere without large crowds gathering around him because they're fascinated by this man. Except there's one segment who isn't fascinated. It's the religious. I think we're being kind to say religious. It's the political leaders of Israel's day who pray for a king out loud. But when he shows up, their, their number one concern is with keeping power. There's a reason I'm talking about this in 2024. And when the king comes, the one they prayed for, and he threatens their political power, they want to kill him. Because they're, and they want to label him a heretic, and they want to label him all this kind of stuff, because they're concerned with losing whatever political power. Chester, I just don't know if that's really how it went down. Uh, they literally, at the end of Jesus' life, went to Pilate and said, there's a man calling himself a king who's a threat to your kingdom. To have him killed, they painted him as a political threat. And then they got mad when Paul looked at them and said, oh, he's your king. No, he's not our king. You just prayed for him for your entire life. He's not our king. Why? Because our king, he's coming to give us control. This is why I'm talking about this. The church, look at me, look at me. I'm going to be real sweet when I say this. The church in America is sick. And the reason it's sick is because it would rather have its political power put in place than the kingdom to come and replace the, the government of this world. Y'all out there this morning? Look at me. What we're after in 2024 is not the guy that we pull the lever for to be in the White House. What we're after in 2024 is that the kingdom of God would come. Am I telling you not to vote? No. Go vote. I actually, I actually think people should vote, okay? Am I telling you not to be, uh, understand the political uh, uh, candidates and what they stand for? And Absolutely. Do all that. But I'm telling you, there is an idolatrous spirit upon the church in America that is more consumed with a man playing king in, in, a, in a country than it is the king of kings coming and, and making everything right. Everybody wants to use the word cult. Never mind. Everybody wants to use the word cult, but nobody wants to talk about the religious right who has a cult leader and whatever he, the man can make no mistakes and can do nothing wrong. And everything he does is gold, even though there's no kingdom ethics being displayed by this man. That's all I've got to say about that. Are you saying don't vote for that guy? I'm not saying that at all. But absolutely understand, whoever you vote for is absolutely the most temporary, fleshly example of a government that you can come up with. 
And I think, happen to think that our democratic way of government is the best one in the world. And it's still the most fleshly, uh, unethical government on the planet, uh, uh, not on the planet, of, of all the governments in the world. And, and, and here's my point. It, 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 that what I'm, my heart's really after is that the king and his kingdom would come and set up his kingdom. So what do you want? I want, I want King Jesus to reign. And look at me. It's not going to be okay until he does. A literal kingdom from heaven coming. Can we buy time? Sure. Can we lower gas prices? I hope so. Can we not have to pay $25 for a loaf of bread? I would love that, right? You see what I'm saying? Like we, I'm sure there's, some, there's small little things we can do. Uh, can we? Oh. <laughs> Evidence number two that we've become cult-like in the support of a man is that we'll give him credit for rolling back abortion when the church has paid for, prayed for more years than that man's been alive for abortion to be rolled back. And we're quick to give a man credit for what God did in answering our prayers. Oh, but see, if he wouldn't have been there. No, hold up. You can say whatever you want to say. The number one name that needs to be praised out of our mouth for rolling back Roe v. versus Wade is the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And so we'll use all this stuff to try to prop up a person, but I'm telling you, our hearts in 2024 aren't after an earthly king. Yes. I will vote for the lesser of two evils, but my heart is that, okay, whatever, be king. Actually, I think God's going to put in there whoever he wants in there anyway. Or did y'all forget that scripture? He appoints, he, he, he sets them down, and he raises them up according to his will. Uh, let me just say it this way to make it more plain. The guy who's in there today is because Jesus, the Lord, put him in there. Yeah, that didn't go over too well. Either he puts them and he places them or he doesn't. I have to believe that the eternal plans and purposes of God are being done by heaven. Amen? And so here's my point. Here's my point. Go vote. Be informed. Uh, uh, stand for the righteousness if there is a place to stand for righteousness inside of politics as much as you absolutely can, but your hope is not in a man. Your hope is in a coming king with a literal kingdom that will be established on the earth. And that's what our hearts desire. So we can be distracted by the earthly political system in 2024, or we can be enamored, I don't know, in love with the appearing in 2024. That was great preaching. I even heard you say amen. Some of you. So, Chester, talk to me about the kingdom. The message of the kingdom is in the New Testament predominant in two gospels. The gospel of Matthew and the gospel of Luke. The kingdom is referenced 54 times in the Gospel of Matthew, it's referenced 44 times in the Gospel of Luke. I think it's like 16 to 18 times in the Gospel of Mark. And every other New Testament writer just, you know, mentions it. But it's a predominant theme. The, uh, and we're going to spend a lot of this year in the book of Matthew. It's the predominant theme of Matthew as he's writing his gospel, his account of Jesus Christ, that this isn't just about the man named Jesus. This is about the man and his kingdom that comes. That makes sense? So 54 times it's mentioned in Matthew's writings. Both Gospels, Matthew and Luke, 
They, uh, they record the Sermon on the Mount, Kingdom Ethics. Both Gospels, Matthew and Luke, record the lineage of the king. Right? That's what you do. You have to establish your lineage to be king. So only Matthew and only Luke record the lineage of the king because they're approaching the writings of Jesus not from a salvation or a savior standpoint. They're approaching the writing of Jesus from an evidence-based standpoint of this man is king and his kingdom is here. You understand what I'm saying? So now let's start walking through math, just the book of Matthew. And I am not about to show you all 54 references to the kingdom. We're just going to do about 15 or 20 of them, okay? Uh, not 15 or 20, probably like 15. I don't know. Did you count them? All right, whatever. It don't matter. Number one, uh, repent. We're going to talk about this next week. Everybody say repent. Okay? Uh, Andrew mentioned it this morning because he's in tune with the Holy Ghost. Uh, repent. For the kingdom of God is, everybody say, uh, at hand. Take your hand, and I want you to stretch it out as far away from you as you can. Yes or no, is that hand still near? The kingdom of God is right there. It is right in front of your face. The kingdom of God is right here. Amen? How? Listen to me. When I say the kingdom of God is near... The kingdom that was, the kingdom that is, and the kingdom that is to come. I'm not just talking about an event. I'm talking about all of it. The kingdom of God is right here. Does that make sense? So, in order to get into the kingdom, you got to repent. I'm going to talk about all that next week. If you don't like the word repentance, you best not come to church, okay? Uh, But you probably need to be here the most, amen? So, next week is about repentance into the kingdom. Uh, I'm going to talk about what that means from Jesus' standpoint and kingdom standpoint. The next verse says this. Again, oh, this is so good. How big of a deal is kingdom mentality? Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist, right? Immediately, the Holy Spirit leads him out into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. At the end of his 40 days of fasting... Satan, the devil, comes to Jesus and tempts him three ways. Hey, you hungry, ain't you? Here's a stone turned into bread. Uh Uh-uh. No, 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 no. We're talking about this more in the later. Man don't live by bread. Man lives by word. Hey, You're powerful, aren't you? In other words, up on this high place, you could throw yourself off and angels would come and rescue you just at the mention, right? Just saying, angels would flock to you and throw yourself off and show off how powerful you are. Nah, I ain't testing him. That's That's not my place. That's not what I come to do is test God, right? Number three, Satan took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the earth and their glory. In other words, what I want you to see here is a man who's obsessed with kingdom was tempted by a a, a perversion of kingdom. 
fulfillment. That's how big kingdom mindset was to Jesus. Is the devil knew his purpose so well, being not just the man to come save people, but the man to come bring the kingdom, that he says, hey, you, there, you can have this kingdom, and it won't be near as rough on you. That makes sense? You can have all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. You can have it all. You can have kingdom. What your heart desires is kingdom, and you can have it. Just, you know, just my way instead of yours. That's how big a deal that even hell understood that Jesus was focused on bringing kingdom. That makes sense? Y'all following me? Okay. All right. So, again, so hell's very aware of how important kingdom is. Uh, let's go to the verse. Let's go to the next time. Uh, verse 17, from that time, Jesus, this is, uh, this is uh, chapter 4 of Matthew. We haven't even got to the Beatitudes yet. From that time forward, Jesus began to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is right here. The first time he read it was John the Baptist. Verse 23, chapter 4. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. Everybody close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. Don't read it. Don't read it. Don't cheat. Close your eyes. Jesus went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of salvation. What was the good news? The good news wasn't salvation. The good news was the kingdom is here. How do you get into the kingdom? That's easy. Be born again. Right? But look at me. Look at me. How ingrained is it inside of your religious psyche to understand the gospel means the gospel of salvation? Y'all out there this morning? You understand what I'm saying? Like if I said to you, define the gospel. I, before I ever preach this message, define the gospel, fold it up, we're going to read all the answers. Oh, it means being saved. It means being born again. It's the plan of God for salvation. It is not the plan of God for salvation. Some of y'all are like, what? Jesus is preaching the good news of the kingdom. Yes, it includes salvation. It includes lots of stuff. It includes salvation. It includes how you live, how you live here and now, what your point of your life is. It includes a future uh, coming resurrection of your moral body from, incorrupt, uh, from corruptible to incorruptible. It means lots of stuff. It's a huge message. And the good news is that you, the kingdom is right here. In other words, Israel, Israel, the thing you've been praying for for your entire lives is right here. The kingdom. So he preached, the, he proclaimed, he preached. That word in the Greek is preached. The gospel of the kingdom, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And then the very next chapter is Matthew chapter 5. Am I know what that chapter, chapter 5 is? The beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. The beginning of the Sermon on the Mount starts with this thesis statement. The thesis statement of the Sermon on the Mount is the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the... Okay, Chad, stand up for me, buddy. I'm going to need lots of help, so 
anybody else have a black coat on? Okay, you, come here. Come here, Ray. You got a black coat on. Skip all the way down to verse 10. Blessed are you when they persecute you, revile you, and all kinds of, because you get the kingdom of heaven. Take one step forward. No, 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 back up, back up. Take one step forward. Take one step forward. Out there. Good job. So we got kingdom and kingdom, the bookends of the Beatitudes. Put your Bible up. Put your stuff up. I'm going to need lots of people here. All right. Uh, give me verse 4. Come up here. Blessed are the, blessed are the, um, those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Right? All right. What's next? Blessed are they, uh, the gentle, the meek. Uh, come here, Sevda. You're nice and gentle and meek. Is that true? Are you like dynamite in small packages? Okay. All right. All right. The gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. By the way, the earth is something that would be inherited. A kingdom is coming to, po to possess the earth. That makes sense? Verse, um, verse 6, blessed are those who hunger. Anybody hungry? Raise your hand if you're hungry. Okay, Patty's hungry. All right, come here, Patty. Right? She is hungering and thirst for righteousness. She gets to be satisfied right there. Right? What's next? Right? Blessed are those who are merciful. Uh, you're right, Patty. Move over. You're the merciful one. Okay? Somebody else has got to be hungry. Uh, come on. You can be hungry. Good. Blessed are those who hunger. Watch that purse there. Okay, good. You hunger. And third, okay, right? What's next? I think it's going to be um, pure in heart. Anybody want to stand up and say they're pure? <laughs> Jim's like. Right? All right. Um, come here. You can be pure in heart since you're wearing white. Right? Oh, that didn't that work out well? All right. Blessed are the pure in heart. Next, you got to be a peacemaker. Anybody good at making peace? All right, okay, you, you raise your hand. Good, oh no, you point, you, you, you point now. Uh -huh. Yeah, peacemaker, for they shall be called sons of God, which is kingdom language. The reason the emperor of Rome was, could identify as a son of God because it means he was the king, he was the emperor. They used, it was common language of kingship in that day. That makes sense? This is all, this is all. So what you have is the Beatitudes, and what you really have is all of this is the kingdom, and he says, you're, you're, uh, you're poor, you get the kingdom, you're persecuted, you get the kingdom, and everything in between, because it's all the kingdom. Does that make sense? So when the one who said, repent for the kingdom is at hand, and this is what it looks like, he bookends the kingdom and everything in between. That's how important the kingdom mentality is. Be seated. Give him a hand. All right. Let's move on. Next verse. All right. Excuse me. Next passage. Matthew chapter 5, verse 19. Ooh. Ooh. This one stings. Anybody who teaches... Anyone who annuls, does away with the least of these commandments and teach others to do the same, contrast that with Romans chapter 1 and 2, when they were become so evil and reprobate, not only do they, uh, do they tell people to do evil, but they approve of people who do evil. They, 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 they encourage them. Anybody who annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least, the very least in the kingdom of heaven. 
Who wants to be least in the kingdom of heaven? Raise your hand. Uh, yes, just not in this way. All right, there, there actually is good teaching about being the least, okay? But whoever keeps and teaches these, whoever keeps and teaches these, if I said to you from a pure-hearted standpoint, look at me, from a pure-hearted standpoint, who wants to be like great in stature in the kingdom of God? Like when you stand before God, it's like, well done, good and faithful. Like you really did it. Good job. You know how you get there? Not by your gifts. Not by your ministry talents. Not by your shadazzle and cadazzle. It's because you heard these commandments and you devoted your life to, to them. Amen? I, verse 20. Or no, 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 no. The next passage of scripture. For I say to you, oh yeah, this is real good. For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of a Pharisee, who was considered the religious, most powerful, righteous people in the land, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because righteousness isn't granted. Mm. Righteousness isn't granted by the earthly system. It's granted by the king and his kingdom. In other words, you've got to be touched by King Jesus' scepter. Which is why it is absolutely cult-like to go to a man, priest, Catholicism, and have them tell you you're righteous. You've got to be touched by Jesus' scepter. No man's scepter will get you into the kingdom that you need to be in. He's preaching real good. All right, verse uh, chapter five, verse or chapter six. Let's move on to chapter six. It says this: When you pray, here's how we're going to teach you how to pray. So let's all say it together. Our Father who art in heaven. Oh, y'all are cheating. Yeah, some of y'all have played football. Okay, good. Now, here's the question. When did you pray for your salvation? You didn't. In that prayer, you never prayed for your salvation. You know what you did pray for? That the kingdom of God would come. In other words, the pattern set forth by Jesus in the most important sermon ever preached with the topic concerning prayer is that you build your prayer life after the concept of the kingdom and its coming. You, when you pray, pray, dot, 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 your kingdom come, your will be done, the kingdom in heaven, bring it to earth. In every sense of the word, now in power by the spirit and in the end, in literal city from heaven coming to earth. In every sense of the word, kingdom come. Close your eyes. Don't put it up there. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, Seek 
Stop. Why are we telling humanity to seek salvation first? Did Jesus teach you to do that? No. We have to be so convinced that the kingdom is a kingdom of power that the salvation part is going to take care of itself. You can't encounter the king and not be changed. I mean, you can, but I mean, it's very difficult to come into, to have a revelation of King Jesus. All I'm saying is when the king walked through town in his day, everybody came running. So my point is when he shows up, things change. Present the kingdom and salvation is going to happen. But what, what won't happen is preparing somebody to die and then living like they live in the now kingdom for the rest of their lives. Which is an affront and a, 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 a something that I think uh, Jesus would spit out of his mouth. Okay, Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. His kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Uh, let's go on. Matthew 7, 21. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Right? The goal isn't to be saved. The goal is to enter the kingdom. Not everybody who calls me Lord gets into the kingdom. Only those who does the will of Father enters the kingdom. Okay, uh, verse, uh, let's go on. Next passage of scripture. Uh, this, is, this is chapter 10, verse 7. John the Baptist came preaching what? Repent for the... Then Jesus came preaching what? And then he sent his disciples out to preach what? Bow your head, close your eyes, repeat after me this prayer. Is that what he told his disciples to preach? He said, go and preach saying, the kingdom of God is right here. The messaging has to be fixed. It makes sense? I don't know. My pastor taught me today that he didn't want nobody to get saved. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the kingdom is the point. Salvation is simply, I mean, literally the door. Jesus says, I am the door, right? Behold, I stand at the door and knock when any man opens up. Like literally, Jesus is the door into the kingdom, We've made much about the door and little bit, little about the kingdom, the house. Amen? So, next verse. When, so, John the Baptist, Jesus, and his disciples. Okay? You ain't John the Baptist. You ain't Jesus. But you are one of his disciples. And your message is the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is right here, actually. Disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? You are confusing. That's what they said. Why are you talking to everybody so confusing like? I mean, you're making everybody go, huh? Like, what, is your, what are you doing here? Talk to them plainly. Because they were used to being talked to plainly most of the time. You know how many times the Bible says, and he said to them plainly? That was there for Chester's sake, amen? All right. So Jesus said, I, to, to you it's been granted to know the mysteries of the by the way, this isn't the first time this has been prophesied or said. Daniel said. Throw it back up there for me. Go back to Daniel verse whatever. You know, you got a good word, man, when you can say verse whatever, and he does this. Okay. It says, uh, here, you got it? Behind me? 
In the days of the kingdom of God, heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will be not left for another people. It will be crushed and put in the end. All these kingdoms, but it will self wonder forever. Verse 45, inasmuch as you saw that the stone, verse 46, verse 46, the king Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face. Verse 47, the king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of, the ki- and Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries. God is the revealer of mysteries, and the mystery he wants to reveal to his church is the mystery of specific. It's a specific mystery he wants to reveal to us, the mystery of the kingdom. That make sense? All right, are y'all with me? Okay, I'm almost done. I'm trying to reinforce the idea that the kingdom is important. Y'all, y'all, y'all getting it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, um... Where are we at? Uh, Matthew chapter 24. By the way, if, you are, if you're taking notes and you want to study more about the mysteries of the kingdom, the entire chapter of 13 says kingdom, like kingdom, 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 kingdom. And there's all these types of parables. In other words, he says the, the parable is of the kingdom is like a seed sown, right? And, and all these parables are parables of a kingdom. They're not parables of salvation. They're parables of a kingdom. That makes sense? All right, so verse 13, no, verse, Matthew chapter 24, verse 13, amen. The one who endures to the end will be saved, okay? This gospel, what gospel is it? What gospel is it? This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then when the gospel of the kingdom is preached to the whole world, then the end will come. Which is why we're literally funding missionaries to go all over the world. Because in one sense, we care about people not going to hell. In another sense, the faster the whole world comes to the knowledge of Jesus King and his kingdom coming, the, the faster his king will his kingdom will come. Amen? All right? And so, and so uh, but it's not a gospel of salvation. Salvation comes from making it to the end, <laughs> right? Enter to the end, you're going to be saved, right? Praise God. Uh, what you need to preach is the kingdom, the gospel of the good news of the kingdom. And then final verse, because uh, some of y'all got to go cover up your, uh, your uh, faucets on your house. This is a cup. It's not wine. It's, it's, but it represents the blood of Jesus. Jesus said, one of the last things he said before he went to the crucifixion, I say to you, I will not drink the fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it with you anew. Where? See, if I didn't put this verse up there and wasn't preaching this sermon, you know what everybody would say? Heaven. Jesus wasn't as focused on heaven as he was the kingdom. There's coming a day, and I'm not even sure we, we drink this cup in heaven. It's very possible we drink this cup in a new heaven or a new earth when his kingdom is established on the earth. But there's coming a day when that last supper, the last supper, look at me, 
Jesus didn't drink that last cup. And he says, that one will be the first toast of the inauguration of the new kingdom. That's how important the kingdom is. That Jesus is so invested in its coming, he wouldn't even complete the supper. Does that make sense? So, what I've tried to lay out to you, look at me, look at me. What I've tried to lay out to you today is not even half the verses in the one book on the entire teaching of the kingdom, which of the Bible, one book, not even half its verses, and it feels like a redundant punch in the head, doesn't it? Right? In a good way. I haven't even scratched the surface of the importance that the scripture lays out about the kingdom of God, and it feels like, okay, you made your point. When 44 more times in the book of, uh, of, of Luke and 18 more times in Mark and uh, eight times in the book of Revelation, it's like just on and on, like this redundant thing, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Here's what I'm trying to tell you, and I'm done. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. If you're not convinced that our journey is a journey of the kingdom, then why in the world do you need to care about living according to the ethics of another kingdom? My last illustration. I'll start with this illustration again. Uh, come here. Yeah, you. Yeah. We love you, but we're shipping you away forever. We're going to pick up Graceland. Grayson. I always say Graceland just because that's what I've always said. Haven't I always done that? Okay, thank you. Everybody gets a nickname. You may or may not want to know yours. Anyway. <laughs> Grayson, you're 16, 17, 16? 16. Everybody say bye, Grayson. I'm going to put Grayson in an airplane today. Where a one-way ticket to somebody yell out a farthest away country on your brain. What? Japan. We're going to go with Japan. Moving you to Japan. Forever. She's never coming back. It's not a visit. Did you just say praise Jesus? Oh, I thought she, she said, her mother, I thought she said, she said, I object. It looked like praise Jesus. <laughs> That's, okay, whatever, whatever. <laughs> okay, we're, we're sending her to Japan. Don't be sad. This has, look at me, this has nothing to do with the gospel. It has nothing to do with missions. This, is, this has nothing to do with spiritual whatever. Not, not spiritual whatsoever. We're just moving Grace, Grace into Japan. And she is there to live until the day she dies. Okay? Now, look at me. We want Grayson, by all accounts and purposes, not to be sad and miss home for the rest of her life, right? We want her to fully assimilate as a Japan person, Japanese, whatever, <laughs> whatever you call it. Look, there was, there, was, um, there was provisions in the Old Testament for foreigners who would come in and be Israelites, and the provision was you had to live like an Israelite. So we send Grayson over there. She's going to become a, a Japan citizen. She can have the paperwork of citizenship. 
You understand what I'm saying to you? She can have the paperwork of citizenship, but never integrate into the kingdom of Japan. Always rejecting his culture. Always rejecting its, its ways and its customs and its language and everything. She can reject it and reject it, but she can have the paperwork. Oh, I'm secure. But if she really wants to live the rest of her life as a Japanese citizen, what does she need to do? Learn the language? She's going to dress like that, right? She's going to eat what they eat. She's going to drink what they drink. She's going to talk the way they talk, right? Uh, all the, all the, what we would consider like American folklore, she had learned the mysteries or the folklore of Japan uh, culture, and she would get all this stuff ingrained inside her. And, and, and let's just say, let's just say, look at me, let's just say that 50 years from now, no contact with us whatsoever, and she fully devoted her life to becoming a citizen of Japan. We pick her up and just set her back down in here. And now you're going to live out the rest of your days here. She's very much, look at me, she's very much a fish out of water now. Longing for Japan more than longing to be here because her life was so transformed. She literally became that person. There was, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Flight leaves at three. Okay, the point is, point is, at some point in your life, you got shipped to Japan. You said yes to Jesus. Amen? And hopefully, hopefully, you have taken seriously the call to become a citizen of another kingdom. And literally what we should feel like now is fish out of water, ambassadors from another kingdom, here to do what we've been called to do, but absolutely longing. As foreigners or sojourners in a foreign land is a biblical concept from Old Testament to New Testament. This world is not my home. I'm just, why is it not your home because you fully integrated into another kingdom. Our problem isn't this, that the world is not our home. Our problem is the world is our home. We're more convinced of the kingdoms of this earth and their glory than we are the kingdom of God and his glory. Amen? So the point of the kingdom ethics is that we would integrate into the new kingdom. That's next week's. Stand upon your feet.